Welcome to This American Ex-Wife. I'm Liz Lenz. Today, I want to hear from you. You are an incredible community of humans who are navigating the messy, meaty realities of life and love and breaking. And so many of you have stories to share. So today, we are doing a special reader email episode of the podcast. And joining me is my friend, Virginia Soulsmith. Virginia is an author. Her most recent book, Fat Talk, explores the fatphobic messages that kids receive and offers a guide for parents trying to help their kids navigate this body-shaming world. Virginia is also the author of the Burnt Toast newsletter, which examines and dismantles diet culture. One of my favorite newsletters was one where Virginia wrote about what happens when parents don't agree on food, fitness, and fat phobia. It really forced me to examine the way divorce is rife with body expectations, from the revenge body to the trope of the divorced dad at the gym. Virginia recently joined the Ex-Wives Club and is here to offer advice, insight, and solidarity to your stories. Let's get to the show. Virginia, welcome. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I am so excited. Are you ready? I was born ready for this. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Our first best friend writes us to say, I knew my marriage was over when I looked at the second line on my pregnancy test and realized that I felt dread. Not about the child I was going to have, but about the man I was going to have the child with. It took four more years for me to get out. And I was like the guy in Shawshank Redemption the whole time, digging for my freedom with a spoon. I have 100% full legal and physical custody of my kid. That fact still amazes me. I drafted two versions of divorce papers for my ex. One was shared custody and requiring him to pay $250 a month in child support. And one with me getting full custody and no child support. I told him that I would sign either, but I preferred the second option. He said, of course, and signed immediately. I bought my kid for $39,000. It was the best money I'd ever spent. She also writes, I left my wedding dress in a back closet of the house. I lost a foreclosure during the divorce and the housing crash of 08. Before that, I invited everyone I knew to come get whatever they wanted from the house. I walked away from everything. I have been divorced a very long time. Sometimes when I meet new folks and they get this news, they say they are sorry. And I tell them not to be. My marriage ran its course and was done. I am not sad. I am not ashamed. I am not sorry. I think I'm going to think about the line about digging for her freedom with a spoon, like for the rest of my life. Yeah, I that was something I noticed a lot in a lot of the emails that I got. Um, so when I put out this call in, in July of 2022, I was a little overwhelmed with how many people wrote in. And there were so many people who were like, well, I wanted to get out 10 years later. I finally did. And, oh and, and that, I mean, that was so, that's so surprising to me how common it is. Um, I just have to stop for one second. I'm so sorry. Hilariously, my ex-husband is interrupting our podcast. Incredible. You can keep all this on the tape. He is <laughs> stopping by to pick up something a kid needs, and he's using the garage door, even though I texted to use the front door. And if there was a garage door noise in the background of that recording just now, that is why. Incredible. Incredible. <laughs> That stays in. That stays in. That stays, that stays in. That's all good. Um, I was like, yeah, I'm really hearing the crowd story right now. Okay. Anyway. Right. Yes. Taking so long to get out. I mean, that's, ugh, it's hard yeah. to change. And, and I think the thing too about him not, him like being like, fine, take the kid. That to me was so heartbreaking. And so like. Also that she 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 drafted up both divorces. It's like doing all the work here. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the amount of mental labor this person did to get out mm-hmm. of the marriage mm-hmm. is staggering. Um and yeah, 250 a month. 250 a month. That's people's it. cable packages cost more than that. Yes. 
Yes, it's nothing. Um, There was a time when I was uh, looking up court records on the divorces of various politicians in my state, you know, just normal 2 a.m. digging around and court filings (laughs) like I do. As one does. does. And, um, you know, I was noticing that these like these these politicians would be divorced with five kids and they would be paying like $300 a month in child support. And I'm like, what is happening? Like, what why even buy for a kid? Like, I mean, I can spend that. I have to buy winter gear this week because it suddenly got cold here and everyone needs coats. And like, by the time we do coats and snow boots, right? Like, right. Oh, yeah. at least at least like yeah and that's not even like the expensive ones you know like like, you go to target you get coats whatever more sweaters and that's it three hundred dollars is easy to spend so easy to spend yeah that's like barely a season's worth of clothes yeah that's not a mortgage activities expenses um yeah nobody's like buying school lunch like that's like i yeah it's amazing yeah yeah Yeah. And that whole thing about um, about digging for the freedom, it reminded me, too, of like somebody saying that people like men are always so surprised by the divorces, but like women have been planning them for years. And, you know, I really that really did bring that to mind. And I just I wondered, you know, and, and digging through so much of the data as I have for this book so much of that just hasn't been quantified or researched because we don't really do a lot of good research into the interior lives of women, do we? No, we definitely don't. We or definitely their, don't. Or their bodies or anything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, yeah. And the like leaving the wedding dress totally makes sense. Um, I mean, it does seem like she she had to walk away from so much and Mm -hmm. I love that she has no regrets like yeah it's clearly worth it I think there's another thing too where people talk a lot about like how um like women post-divorce and this also hasn't been studied super well but there's this like narrative out there that's like oh well don't get divorced because you'll be poor and that's true like women do take the financial hit of uh of divorce more statistically and I know there's like men out there who are always like women just get divorced so that they can get money it's like we can get that 250 a month right it's like sir I could sell feet pictures for more than that like (laughs) you know like come on there are other ways there are so many other ways I would rather do that labor and I'll just let your imagination run free but the um the but it's it was just like they do make less money but there's like a dip it goes down and then it goes back up again which I personally experienced I lived that statistic where I was very very broke for a very very long time and now I'm like making more money than I would have ever been possible had I not forged a new life for myself but this is a person who I think really like probably lived that dip and when they got out was like you know, because if they're losing their house, right, if they're giving up money, if they're the one seems like paying the lawyer, you right. know, and to they're make getting it full all custody happen. of the kid and all the expenses of the kid. I mean, yes, yes. Of course, it, that's a victory, but that's also, you know, something you're now figuring out month to month. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, that is just, yes. But I think it also establishes that like, yeah, it, but money's not everything, right? Freedom is something that I think is worth far more than money. Yeah. Yeah. And when she says how everyone says they're sorry, I mean, I'm dealing with that too. Like that's where everyone goes. And it's just like, no, no, that's, I mean, there was like a few weeks where that's where I was emotionally. Like, yes, be sorry. I'm grieving. You know, there's a loss here. You're grieving a lot, but like, by the time I'm telling acquaintances, by the time I'm talking about it on a podcast, by the time this, like she says, this has happened a very long time ago. Like you don't need to keep offering condolences for the rest of our lives about a relationship ending. Why would that be something we have to like mourn forever? That feels also very gendered. Like I bet her ex doesn't get condolences still. 
Right. I think that that language around how we talk about people's divorces, um, somebody I was talking with um, another guest about this, but about how like loaded the term divorcee is because it's like so often applied to women. And so is ex-wife, but like like men get to walk through the world without being so encumbered by those labels. And, and, and it's, and yes, it's like this grief that like, oh, we have to carry like, oh, I'm so sorry that your status as a wife got taken away. And it still feels even though like divorce parties have been a thing since the 1920s, as I discovered, um, it still feels so subversive to say, actually, I'm fine. Like, actually, all relationships end. This is great. What yeah. do you wish people would say to you instead, Virginia? I mean, I think, especially if it's new and you don't have a lot of context, just say, like, how are you doing? Like, how, like let me let you know. <laughs> whether Because maybe I am having a day where I feel sad and I want to talk about that. And you're a person I would talk about that with, not like my dentist, you know, <laughs> but like, maybe I'm not mostly I'm not. And so yeah. then I can say like, Oh, I'm doing really well. You know, we're doing great. Like, and now you've, now you understand where your footing is in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's because I admit, I also get a little annoyed. Sometimes there's a well-meaning thing that people will rush into tell me why it's not a tragedy, which is, can also be a little like, okay, like it's my life. Like, you know, it's like, I think that's the thing is like, people feel like they need to know exactly what to say Mm. and they need to know how to tell you about the thing you're experiencing. And actually, even if someone else has been divorced three times, they haven't experienced my divorce, right? Like we're all entitled to our own stories. So like, oh, that's big. How are you doing? Like, that seems like a great neutral way to let the person going through the experience tell you where they are with it and what they need. I also think like divorce is so uncomfortable for people to talk about oh my because goodness. people like, as you know, now, you know, because uh, for those of you who are just meeting Virginia, uh, Virginia, as we were talking just a couple of weeks ago, wrote a bit about her own divorce on her newsletter and experienced the, uh, I call it the Lilith phenomena of like people just coming out of the woodwork. Like you've exited the Eden of marriage marriage and you Mm. get outside that quote unquote utopia and you find out that the whole world is like populated with all these people who are like and now let me tell you my story and now let me tell you what happened to me and they just it it comes up and it's 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 a little terrifying it's also a lot of people are like okay well you left your marriage how do I get out of my marriage and it becomes really difficult to just be a person going through a thing Mm -hmm. when you say, and I don't even think it's just, you know, like newsletter or women who write publicly. You know, I, I know friends who are like, I work in finance. I told people I got divorced and I had like five people in my Facebook messages being like, my husband's been cheating on me for six years, but I don't want to leave him because I like our house. It's just like, yeah, that is a lot. That's the other (laughs) thing of it, right. Is the people who are like, wanting your advice on how to like how do I do it and then it's the people who are like tell me what happened to you so I can reassure myself that mine isn't that bad and then I should stay yes oh that's that's the other thing like I think this is something and you know obviously um I'm not gonna pretend my ex and I have the best relationship but like he's also a very good father who loves and cares for his children and I'm also now so far out from it that like I got no beef you know like we're good and like people will want to be like oh well he was a narcissist or he did all this kind of stuff Mm -hmm. my situation's different I'm like he's not a narcissist like he he didn't do the I mean like I wasn't happy in the marriage but that doesn't mean that like he has a personality disorder (laughs) yeah we don't have a lot of room for the gray areas of this I mean you know my ex and I are getting along really well he's stopping by my house and using the garage door um you know like we're parenting better than we ever have together like we you know there's like a comfort to our relationship now that we're no longer trying to make it be something it just wasn't that's so liberating and that I think is also really uncomfortable for people the idea that you could be like 
happier and feel better about your relationship on the other side of this is really interesting. And obviously that's not every story, but I think when we only reserve divorce for these really extreme abuse, narcissism, like all those situations when, I mean, I admit like when I was still in it, I sort of, and even though I actually grew up in a very amicable divorce with my own parents, like I still had this idea of it as a worst case scenario that I resisted for a long time. And then once it happened, it was like, oh, oh no, oh, it's nicer. It's better. Okay. This is just so different than I thought it would be. And we're just, you know, because we're only seeing that one example, it's narrowing so much how we think about it and the conversations we have. I heard uh, Glidden Doyle Melton. I know, I know. Uh, I, mean, talk- I listen almost every week. It's fine. Uh, did you hear her uh, conversation? This is from her conversation a while back with Celeste Ng, and I know she talks about this in other way in other uh, conversations too, where she talks about like how like women specifically, like people, uh, you know, raised to be female identifying. And this really hard time of like letting go of what we think we were supposed to want or do because Mm -hmm. we don't know what's on the other side. And it's terrifying because then we lose control. And I think it's almost scarier. And Glenda didn't say this, but when she was saying that, I was thinking, I was like, you know, I think it's almost scarier for some people that it could be better on the other side because you've been working so hard to fix something or make it good for so long that it makes it feel like if if, if some woman comes by and was like, yeah, we just divorced because we were unhappy. He's fine. We were just not making each other happy. And now I'm doing so much better. Like it it kind of feels like a personal attack when they're like, I've been in marriage therapy for three goddamn years. And like, (laughs) you just walked out and now you like your life. Like you just walked out. Like, and now you're like, what, what? You're going to go have orgasms. What's happening? <laughs> that's how, that's what happens, actually. I yeah. don't know. People know this, but that's what happens. You become an ex-wife and it's just. <laughs> I mean, it's it's pretty wild. And I think it does. Yeah, I think it really gets it. Um, people are holding on to this thing so firmly and yeah. it, it unnerves them to see people yes. like letting go of the balloon and. You know, like it is like this balloon string we've all been gripping so tightly and then Mm -hmm. you're just letting it float away. And that, you know, we're just conditioned to think of that as a failure. You gave up, you didn't try enough. And yeah, what if we didn't have to keep trying all the time? Like, what if we could just pick something better? Well, I think that's a great segue to our next letter. Okay. Um, This one makes me really sad. And um, okay. Our, our second best friend who's written us to say, I didn't have a good marriage, but my threshold for emotional pain was very, very high. Um, and I probably would have endured it forever, except my husband after years of pretty flag- flagrant neglect, which led to me being a rather sullen and unhappy wife, finally found someone who would have an affair with him and left me. By the way, that wording, who would have an affair with yeah, him. Who was willing to have an affair <laughs> Who was willing have an affair with them girl yeah for six months I opened myself to reconciliation I forgave him for his betrayal but he had no desire to break off his new relationship so I accepted that and asked for a divorce that was several years ago I am better off in every way but is my kid when I try to talk to other people about this they rush to assure me that kids are always better off when an unhappy marriage ends but I don't think that's true in my case My ex and I seldom fought. We were generally a good team. Being co-parents has come easily to us. This just makes everything more confusing for my kid who doesn't know the circumstances that led to the end of the marriage. I feel so guilty that I'm happy and she's not. But I also feel so much resentment that I feel obligated to keep her father's secret for the sake of the father-daughter relationship. He's still with the woman he had the affair with, and this woman professes to love my kid, which to me is a bit like being a soldier on a bombing mission who claims to love the child they found running naked through the streets, screaming. Once again, girl, 
But I can't express my unhappiness with the situation because it's always reduced to basic sexual jealousy. My ex refuses to understand, believe that I am totally done with him, that I am simply uncomfortable with my daughter spending time with someone who I cannot trust to have my kid's best interests at heart. This secret that I keep is like a nuclear option and it's terrible. I never want to push the button and I won't, but my kid is going to figure it out one day because she is very, very, very smart. What would you tell our friend, Virginia? I mean, well, look, I'm a lot earlier in the process of this than I think, well, certainly you and I think all our letter writers. Um, But I think where I'm landing is you are you being happier is better for your kid even if your kid is not currently happier like in the long term in in the big picture sense of your relationship with your child your overall family dynamic i think it's hard because kids know what they know and they get used to whatever their dynamics are in the house And so because they don't know anything else, it's not like they shopped around and had five other families before they landed with you. Just the fact that it's all different feels worse to them, even if it's better, I think, is what I'm was what I'm learning and what I think I've definitely heard from a lot of folks. And I agree. I think, you know, we've had a little of this, too, like because we're getting along well. I think there is a vibe from the kids sometimes is like, well, so why did everything have to change? Like this doesn't, you know, but like that's still better than it being awful and then yes. a new kind of awful, you know, like it's like this is this is still better for your daughter that you guys are able to co-parent effectively, that you are a happier person. But she and when we don't get what age the daughter is in this letter, but I'm sort of guessing like tween teenager tween yeah tween. yeah tween I mean as a parent of a tween that is just a tough time to be a human and they're gonna be mad about anything at that point they really are like I I think your kid might not be happy right now even if you had stayed <laughs> so I, I think that's such an important point and and I thought like what the what our friend should we give her a name Samantha Samantha I was so weird. I was thinking Samantha too. Well, then that's her name. That's That's what's clearly her name. Oh, my mom there. We did. Yeah, we did it. Um, (laughs) I think like, I think for Samantha that, you know, I hear like a lot of grief on behalf of the child. And, you know, my, when, when I split, my kids were so young and my son does not remember us being together, but my daughter does. And she remembers the fighting. And but so with my son, we have and it's I think especially initially in the first two years, I would say the first two to three years, there was a lot of why did you leave dad? Because Mm -hmm. I moved out. Right. And I'm not going to throw him under the bus, kind of like this letter writer. And I I just, yeah, I see the right call. Yes. And that that's a conversation for her to find out. And also, like, by the way, as a child who grew up and find found out about my own father's uh relationships with other women like it's a really fraught thing and it has to I think best case scenario happen as a conversation between adults right because I think especially as a child you have these ideas of your parents and their relationship and uh yeah and maybe she deserves to have a relationship with her dad that meets her needs right now Yes. And if and, she had to navigate that on top of everything else, it he couldn't be the dad that she needs right now. Right. Right. And I, that's the thing I always remind myself to with my kids. I'm like, they deserve to have a relationship with their dad, no matter who he is or no matter who I think he is, right. that that is their dad and they deserve to get a relationship with him. And so I will do everything in my power to make that relationship happen. Uh, now, I will say I will not I won't sacrifice the truth, but the truth has to be like age appropriate right. and told in a way that I think is, you know, so like for the first couple of years, I very much just like told that line, made sure we all got at the therapy. It just wasn't working. We were unhappy. This was a mutual decision over and over. And then once they got a little older, I started having more honest conversations to say like, yes, actually 
um, this was part of the breakdown. And that doesn't mean either one of us is a bad person. It just means we wanted different things, right. you know, and, and, you know, like infidelity is really common, you yeah. know, I, I, I love my dad and it was a hard thing to go through just because I think when I, when I finally figured it out, it was happening at a pretty traumatic time in my life where like my now ex-father-in-law died of cancer. And then two of my sisters were in the hospital. And of course me, I'm like the greatest time to get big life altering news. No. And then I was like, and then I was like, Hey dad, remember when like you were gone for so long when I was little, what was that about? And he was like, yo, I just tell you. And I was like, Oh my God. Um, (laughs) 2007 it's amazing was... that you asked and it's you know good for him for telling you but but also I like <laughs> that you asked him and that it was his job to tell you not your mom's job well actually I did ask my mom first and she was like you have to talk to your father and so, yeah I agree with her she's I right agree. like that's the other thing I'm thinking for this letter writer like yeah. yes you hold this secret but like it's not your burden to tell it's not your burden to put this on your kid or to work this out for you know like you didn't you were yeah. the one who had the infidelity I think life is so long and complicated and also so full of grace. Like I remember being so my, um, I want to say this in a respectful way, but my parents fought all the time growing up. It was miserable. They screamed at each other constantly. I remember getting bigger and being like, why didn't they just split up? You know, like this was awful and I didn't like it. And I didn't like being raised in a house where I felt like I was stepping around people's landmines. And then, you know, then I remember like having a fight with my now ex and looking up and seeing my daughter looking at us from the stairs and being like, I've done it. That thing that I was judging my parents for, I have been doing it. and justifying it to myself. And it was a real kick in the gut. And now even as I get even older, I realize it's, it's, it's really, I used to think infidelity was the worst thing that could happen. Now I realize there are way more worse things you can do to a person. Totally. And, and life is so complicated and our parents' relationships are complicated and our own relationships are complicated. And I think like the best gift you can just give to a child is to just say, you know what, life is a mess and adults don't have it figured out and and we're still working and learning and growing and we love you and, uh, you know, and this is a mess. And also, by the way, everybody else's home that looks perfect is a hot mess because I grew up in the home that looked perfect with like, you know, the eight homeschooled children and we were all happy and we're matching jumpers and like, no, thanks. Yeah. I'm thinking about her anger towards, I don't know if it's a stepmom now or the new girlfriend, what, you know, whatever yes. she is. I get the anger. Like, I, I don't want to invalidate how she's feeling. Like, it's totally valid to be so angry about this betrayal and the fact that this person is still around. And I kind of feel like that's a place to work on letting go a little bit mm. because... I do, like, I remember when I first put my daughter in daycare and was feeling sort of conflicted about it, an editor said to me, the more people who love your kid, the better. And I think that's really true about step-parents. I have really close relationships with my step-parents. And again, like, this woman, like, your daughter deserves, just like she deserves a relationship with her dad, she actually deserves a relationship with this stepmom or girlfriend if she's like in the picture long term Mm -hmm. and so I don't know it's so hard because I I don't envy having to walk your way out of that kind of rage but something I think about a lot is like there's so many you know whether infidelity wasn't part of our story but like whatever your story is like there's so many pockets of things that you can be incandescently angry about in this situation and there's kind of no bottom to that, right? Like there's kind of no, like you could just stay in a rage spiral forever. And at some point, I think I have come to the conclusion and I kind of want this for this person too, like for Samantha too, like we don't deserve that. You don't deserve to drown in your rage. You deserve better than that. And maybe that's a way of reframing how angry you are to think like, like, I mean, anger is powerful, right? It's what drives Mm -hmm. us out. It's so important. But now we're several years out of the situation, you are better off. 
you're worried about your kid, but you're seeing all these benefits in your life. Like, I don't know, something to think about. Yeah. You know, I remember somebody telling, you know, I'm going to attribute who said this is the wonderful, wonderful woman, Jane Marie. And she said this one time, because when I was getting divorced and she like popped into my text messages and she edited me so many years ago at Jezebel. And I just love her when I was complaining about something like my kids going to their dads and then them like eating junk or, or I don't even think it was that it was, it was something else. And she was like, you know what? You have been their primary caretaker for so long. She's like, you have managed every single facet of their life. And she's like, but part of the reason that broke you is because you were doing all that work. And she's Mm -hmm. like, you have to learn how to let it go. She's like, you don't get a say in what happens at their house. She's like, you don't get a say like if they're being abused, but that's not the issue here. She's like, you don't get a say what happens at that house. And he doesn't get a say what happens at your house. She's like, if he's gonna, you know, like take them, you know, she she used the example of food but she was like if she they're just he's gonna take yeah she's like if he's gonna take them to mcdonald's every day they're with him that's fine right it's fine and you don't get a say and that was a real i think hard break hard lesson for me because it was like you're right like I want them to have a relationship with their dad. And that means I have to let go of certain things and certain expectations and certain ideas about how I think things should be done. Yes. And um, and that's hard as a mother. That's hard, especially when you've been the primary caretaker and the one who, and I'm guessing still does all the doctor's appointments, does right. all the things like you're still, you still do a lot of that. And it's hard to let that go, but it's also like a really good lesson in letting go. And my, my ex remarried pretty quickly. Um, and, but I've never, I did get mad one time when, when my son for a while started calling her mom and oh. that really, and I, I took that rage to my therapist. Cause I was like, he is a boy, small boy. I can't, right. I can't, whatever, yeah, that would, I, whatever that. I'm going through, I can't take that on my kid. And I took to her and that I was just like, I am the mom. Like I am. And she was like, you are, but you have to let him be on his own journey. And that was just like that thing Ooh, I had to keep reminding me. It really hurt me. And, yeah. and, it, and he was just like, little guy you know yeah, God, he was course. five years old I think and so um he would just be like I have two moms and another mom you know and I'm just like these you know it's scarring in my vagina says otherwise <laughs> right like I which is not which is totally antithetical to what I believe about life and happiness and community like yeah, I yeah. believe at my core that I'm so happy this other person is in their life who helps care for them who loves them who 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 is with them in her own way and I am you know but it's so you know my therapist was like you have to stop thinking of it as supplanting you and thinking of it as just like making a bigger circle for your children you're not being replaced it's just a bigger circle and don't we all want like big happy circles for our kids to just be part of and like feel safe inside of and so you know whatever I can do even if this is not a person who I would naturally be friends with, it doesn't fucking matter. No, it's no. we're a community for these children. And even if, you know, even if the way she expresses love and rules is not a way I would do it, doesn't fucking matter. Doesn't yeah, fucking and matter. I think like if thinking of it as like we're one family or we're one community, if that feels too big, you don't have to get there right away. But maybe right. it's thinking of it as like, we are business associates. We are collaborating <laughs> on the project of raising these children. You know, yes. like that you're can, coworkers. Like, yeah, you can be coworkers with yes. the new girlfriend and with your ex. And that is actually a really healthy place to be with that because it will let you set boundaries that you need to set because you wouldn't like, you know, you would have clear boundaries with a coworker that you wouldn't, you know, like you can just be cleaner. And maybe that gives you some breathing room while you're working on letting go of all this again, very valid anger, but at this point, possibly counterproductive anger. Yeah. I think anger is so powerful when it, 
motivates us to make hard choices when it motivates us to do hard actions we wouldn't other otherwise make but there has to be something on the other side of that anger like we can't just simmer in our rage and I think there's a lot of talk about female rage in the zeitgeist but Mm -hmm. so often we don't move beyond that rage to the and then what right like and then where does that rage take us and I think that rage should take us to these bigger, more expansive versions of life, of love, of relationship, of community, of family, of what it's like to be a parent. But like to get there, we have to let go of the rage because it can also feel comfortable to just be mad. And mm-hmm. um, Maggie Smith writes about this really yeah. well, where she writes about like how she held on to her rage as being the betrayed partner for so long that in a way it was like a protective shield where she didn't have to examine herself because right. he was the betrayer. Right. And I, when she said that, I felt, even though it's not applicable to my situation, I felt slapped in the face. Yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah. what an incredibly wise, insightful, self-aware thing to say that sometimes these betrayals we cling to them and our anger about them because they make it so we don't have to self-reflect about but sometimes you know. they're a symptom of something else or just not to say you did anything wrong samantha we don't think you did we're on your team forever no nobody like, deserves to be that to, to be treated like that no yeah no yeah yeah and but, i think that's why i'm bumping on the rage in the in the way it's framed in this letter is just like you got out you're in the place where you can have the big expansive life now go be free do it and I think your daughter will get there too yes and And like my daughter got mad at me because I made her cinnamon rolls the other day like how dare you you're first of all how dare you how dare you how dare you okay let's see I I think we're going a little long should we just should we just pop to our best friend at the end the best friend Okay. Yes, so, although I'm sad not to talk about the guy who was attracted to fat women. I did have some thoughts on that one. Actually, let's just do it. Do you have time? What are you doing yeah, looking at for time? Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, we will do that then and we'll just let we'll let this episode be as long as it needs to be. Yeah, you can Zach, don't edit us. Some of the filler. Yeah. <laughs> don't edit us, Zach. We're perfect. Just the way we are. This is Joe Rogan now. We're going for two okay. hours. Four hour episode. Four hours. I just upload it straight to YouTube. Let's go buckle in. Okay. (laughs) Our new best friend, letter writer number three. Looking back, I am still mad that I stayed with someone who was so unkind. These all start the same way. Like I stayed too long with a place I wasn't happy. Yeah. It's a theme. It's a theme. theme. Okay. I'm a social worker and I still feel ashamed that I was unable for a long time to do what I knew I needed to do. The first time I knew I made a mistake was the first day of the marriage when he refused to wait for a cab at the train station and insisted that I, six months pregnant and exhausted from putting on my own wedding, from invited favors to flowers to food to wedding cake, all homemade, insisted we trudge up and down the hills of Seattle, lugging suitcases behind. The second time, I know, I know. Just know. I know. Keep going, but no. But no, absolutely not. The second time is when he wanted to get back to normal a week after our daughter was born and signed himself up for yoga three nights a week after work. So I was alone from 6 a.m. till 9 p.m. with a screaming baby. The third time is when he shouted at our toddler who was trying to help with the sweeping and crack the dustpan. She ran to me terrified and I was too shocked to do anything but comfort her. He was a man who was attracted to fat women and therefore to me, but who was ashamed of this and therefore spent a lot of effort shaming me for my size. A man who habitually sat in different train cars when we lived in Europe because he found us unbearably annoying. A man who did not understand why he should attend the commencement when I earned my PhD. All right, let's have, have it, Virginia. Back everything I said about letting go of our race. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm not ready to let go of my rage about this. Everything, everything about this. Oh my God. So the insisting that we walk thing. Nope. And so, 
the whole thing to me is coded with body stuff, right? Because yes. he's making her walk instead of taking a cab, get yeah. back to normal. What does that mean? What does that mean, sir? And that yeah. means and you're, you're signing up for yoga three nights a week. Right. Well, you have a new baby and then, you know, he, he doesn't want to sit with her. He doesn't want to be with her, celebrate her. Mm-hmm. And then the whole tension over her body being something that he's attracted to, but ashamed of. There needs to be a way to quickly identify these men before anybody marries them. We need to know who they are. There needs to be a, like, a, I don't know, a spreadsheet somewhere that you can check because well you can't put spreadsheets of bad men together because then you get sued as we learned from the shitty media men list but go on that's right yeah that was a real bummer anyway um yeah I just this is but this is the thing that I hear often you know from my readers and listeners obviously um since I write a lot about fat politics like this is a very real phenomenon of men. I'm guessing he himself is straight-sized. I'm projecting that, but I'm guessing from the yoga and from his disdain for her body that he might be straight-sized. He is attracted to fat women, as are many people. Fat women are beautiful and hot and attractive. Right. Um, so, of course, he is. But because we live in such a fat-phobic culture... And he's obviously doing like there's some diet culture stuff here with the three nights a week yoga when you just had a baby. No, Um, he then is also like feels weird about it and takes it all out on her. And yeah, absolutely. Making her walk hills when she's pregnant. Like this is this is just enraging on so many levels. And I think there is a dynamic too where where right like. This happens with with so many partnerships, right? Like you marry a person thinking that they like you for something and then 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 not too long after, like they try to change you. And I'm not even I'm not even gonna I don't even want to talk about my ex-husband. I want to talk about the very uh liberal um professor I dated for a long time who was like, Oh, I like how outspoken you are, outspoken you are, and then would kick me when I would talk too much at like events like no. we'll go to like bonfires with his friends because it's Iowa we got to burn stuff you know and like <laughs> and how I don't I was like why did we always go to barn bonfires okay whatever but like and then he'd just be like nudge kick like little kick or just oh kind of like God. a side eye you know where I would just be being my normal annoying self like laughing screaming having a good time and it it, and it was just like it was so devastating like yeah. in this way I think especially like especially coming out of one relationship and then getting into this other one where it's like oh I've got a liberal guy now like he's gonna accept me for who I am and then have it be it's like what you were saying like it's hard to know when you get into those situations because so often it's the bait and switch, right? Like, yeah, I love you. You're beautiful. Your body's beautiful. Is nev- tells you nothing. Tells you nothing right? like, about this shit. That's totally unrelated to this shit. Right. And, and it, I mean, it, I get why she's still mad she stayed so long, but I just, I don't know. I have so much empathy for that. Um, I think that you know, we stay because we're programmed to stay, right? Like, I mean, even her language here about like how hard she was doing her best, like she was trying to make it work. Like, I think we are so programmed to think that is what we do and that we have to keep doing it. And the way this guy was treating her is really like, there's a lot of control going on here. There's a lot of making her feel small and not worth, you know, like, And I just think like, of course, that's going to undercut your confidence about getting out or realizing you deserve better. Like he was minimizing you for so long. Yes. And I think there's like there. It's also like a cultural thing, too. Like he's repeating cultural scripts that we've heard. Right. Like the cultural scripts that like you need to like why. Why are you so lazy? You can't walk, you know, like Mm -hmm. why would you know take the stairs instead of the elevator? Boop, 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 you know, like, um, like get, get back, get back to normal. Go, go do yoga, which yoga doesn't even lead to weight loss. Like, come on. 
first of all. Well, no, he signed himself up. For oh, right. Oh, right. Right. He but wasn't like, sending her to yoga. He he wanted to when like get back to normal. Like it was about bodies, but it was also him being like, "This baby is loud and really <laughs> impacting my day, and so I need to get back to my pre-baby self, and my regular <laughs> yoga habit." Like I need to my pre-baby self, I who have not birthed this child, right? Right. Who, who am not yeah. caring for the newborn? Right. I'm a, I myself, guys, it's self-care. It's self-care. Yeah, he needed self-care. He just really he needed, needed to, he needed care for himself in this situation. Get and back to normal. You had a baby, sir. There is no, there, that normal ship has sailed. It's gone. There's no getting it back. Right. You oh. have a life and it has a baby in it. Like, right. Bring your baby to yoga. Um, <laughs> and let your wife have a nap and go out to dinner and have right and take a cab and take a cab take a goddamn cab I hope this woman takes cabs everywhere now oh I hope she takes I hope she takes cabs I hope she never and and I'm not against yoga I this is not an anti-yoga statement but like I hope she never goes to another fucking yoga class in her life yeah no I don't think she needs yoga in her life she does not need yoga Mm -mm. Mm-mm. Do you, I, you wrote this really incredible uh, new, newsletter article that I quote in my book that talks about like these dynamics of when couples are married and they are like, they have different approaches to body. And mm-hmm. then when they divorce, right? Like how that impacts where like, you know, the dad's doing like CrossFit right. and then the mom's being like, actually, you know, we can move our bodies in comfortable ways and joyful, that, ways. And joyful yeah. ways and McDonald's is fine. And that becomes these like these really difficult dynamics and that are reinforced by culture, right? Like Absolutely. it's, it's not the culture reinforcing the mom being like, love yourself. But it's the culture reinforcing the dad being like, just, just get back out there. Just yeah, like, more weight. Yeah. 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 Just starve yourself a little. It's fine. Yeah, I think it's really complicated because, I mean, like we were talking about earlier, it's so important to have this idea of like, I don't get to control what happens in his house. He doesn't get to control what happens in my house. Like you need those boundaries. Absolutely. And yet food and bodies are going back and forth. Like your kid's (laughs) body is going back and forth. And so when there are these really like little nuances is fine, you know, like you buy different snacks or like, I don't know, you serve dinner at five and he serves dinner at seven. Like kids can adapt with those kinds of changes. But when there's these like really core philosophical differences, that I think is going to be so challenging. I mean, it is so challenging. And when in the story I reported, I mostly, I actually did not find, I don't think any dads who were on the anti-diet side. It was like all like moms anti-diet and dads still very much in diet culture, which says a lot about how the gender norms of all of that. But, um, you know, that sort of like go hard or go home attitude towards exercise and like you have to earn dessert by eating your vegetables and all that kind of very male perspective on food and bodies is so reinforced by our culture and it's held up as healthy which means it's then really easy for the dad to use the mom's quote unhealthy habits whether that's like boxed mac and cheese or you know not taking your kid to crossfit cuz you're a normal person um, i'm now coming across as anti yoga and anti crossfit i'm anti crossfit no i'll stand on that you i won't make you yeah. die on my hill i'm pro yoga i am anti crossfit yeah, that yeah, that shit sucks it really does it really does it's it's pretty intense um yeah yeah so like that can then be used against the mom like when they're revisiting custody agreements or they're sorting out these details because and especially for fat moms this is a huge concern right you're going to go into a court hearing you're going to be on you know at a table with lawyers whatever your situation is and you've got this like thin buff dad being like she's unhealthy like everybody's going to believe that guy and that's really scary. So it's it's a super concerning dynamic. It's like one of the thousands of dynamics that the court system is not remotely set up to catch and support and correctly identify. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we absolutely see it impacting the kids when, you know, what I heard about a lot in reporting that piece was, 
you know, they feel super restricted at their dad's house because there's all these rules around treats. And then they come to my house and they eat everything in sight, which then reinforces the dad's thinking that there's like this super unhealthy dynamic when it's like, no, the kid just was hungry at your house and now came back here and is going to eat. And that's like a totally normal human reaction to have. So yeah, it's really, it was a, kind of a discouraging story to report. There are some really good strategies from um, Hillary Kniebe, who's an amazing fat positive therapist on how to start to negotiate this with your ex if anyone needs actual advice, but right now- We'll we'll link it when this this podcast episode comes out Um, because yes, it is very helpful. And even me, a couple of years into uh, co-parenting, I found it to be really, really helpful, uh, helping me manage a, uh, dynamic with my daughter and everything like that, which has worked out great. So the advice is helpful and practical and, but it's tough. It is really tough. tough. Yeah. And speaking of that guy, let's let him enter the chat. So let's do it. I just want to add as a little preface that I picked this letter because I got a lot of emails like this. Um, when I asked people for their divorce stories, uh, I put it out there. I didn't say who could send me their divorce stories. I just said anybody. And I, I, I find it interesting that instead of, um, all the men who emailed me, instead of them saying, here was my divorce story, they all wrote a variation of, well, I hope you include a man's divorce story. And it's like, instead of just telling me your story, which you could have done, you yeah, know, and, and I would have been so interested, you could have just told me your story. I got a, a handful of emails from men being like, well, I hope you'll open this up to diverse perspectives. And they don't mean trans people. <laughs> they don't mean like, you know, Asian American women or right. like black people. They mean like, they mean them. They mean white men. Yeah. And, and, you know, at at first I read a couple and I was like, ha ha. And then I got more and I was like, I started to get really bothered by it. And I've also noticed this happens every time I write an article about divorce and I'm obviously writing from my perspective, but I do back it up with a lot of research, you know, and, and it comes from, I wrote a whole book about it. So, um, you know, 70%, this is a statistic I say over and over, but 70% of divorces are initiated by women. So there is a real gender dynamic happening here. And by the way, ever since divorce was a thing, it's almost always been initiated by women mostly. That's fascinating. Which is fascinating, especially in America. Um, and and so I wanted to read a little letter that I thought was exemplary of this kind of like feedback that I've been getting. And I wanted to talk about it with Virginia because I know that she has some perspectives on this as well, because writing about uh diet culture really gets gets we, we get, get similar. Men. Yeah, we're we get we hear from a lot of men. We hear and from so we, men. We yeah. want to we want to include these diverse perspectives. Yes, I'm so glad we're including this diverse perspective. It's, it's this diverse podcast, um, but you got to say diverse like that. Okay, <laughs> so this person definitely I I tried to anonymize it as much as possible, but I just want to put it out there. This person definitely identifies as as a, as a cishet man, um, who wrote. I think sometimes it's easy to fall into the usual male-female role models when trying to sort out how relationships fall apart. He's the breadwinner. She's the de facto homemaker. We all see examples of that often, but of course it's a continuum with female breadwinners and male homemakers, and also I think a big chunk of breadwinner homemakers who have dysfunctional spouses regardless of their gender. Okay. I was raised by a single mom and learned how to keep shit from going off the rails, save money, don't starve, and bake a flaky pie crust. As things turned out, my wife is terrible at all those things. I find myself in the breadwinner homemaker camp, and I'm sure that this isn't sustainable in a relationship with someone who is neither. I know you know that this topic is gender neutral, and I want to add a gender and editor's note to be like, No, I don't actually. Um, 
But the letter writer continues, I want to encourage you to open this up to men's perspectives too. We are often victimized and overlooked by our spouses. It's not just all poor women. I mean, it is- You want to go first? You want to go first? (laughs) I think what I just have to say is it is really hard for straight white men when they find themselves experiencing a small fraction of what every woman in a marriage experiences. It seems very unsettling for him to be experiencing, again, a small percentage of this. And then as a follow-up, I just want to know if they have children, who makes the doctor's appointments? Uh, So... When I first wrote an essay that went viral, it was called, Now That I'm Divorced, I'm Never Cooking for a Man Again. I actually stand by that title, by the way. People are always like, oh, I'm sure an editor gave it to you. I'm like, she did, and I loved it. Um, (laughs) It was a great suggestion. It was a great, and, uh, but, but, um, you know, I heard from a lot of men and I still do every time I write about this, there's always that one guy commenting. So that's why I put this one guy letter who's like, well. I do all the work in the house. My wife does nothing. She has it so good. And I work constantly. I make the many. I cook the food. I do all the blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, first of all, you're talking about your current partner. Right. Which like, that's how you're talking. That's, that's how you're talking about the woman you love. Right. Like this is not a divorced guy in this letter. He is. No, you're coming into my, my comment section to bitch about this person who you're saying you love and that you do everything for but you are now calling them lazy and they don't contribute just want to put that out there right yeah Yeah, that's a really nice way to talk about your life partner yes it sounds like a great relationship (laughs) sounds sounds so good I bet she really feels the yeah. respect she feels loved and seen I think um, yeah. yeah and and then what you bring up too is like there has to be and there always is all these unseen labors like you know for me it was wiping the counters and my ex would be like oh I just don't notice it and I'm like yeah right like you weren't socialized to notice counters I wasn't socialized I mean if I'm the kind of person who's so flaky and so absent-minded if I hadn't been socialized to notice count you know counters I wouldn't either but I do I am please wipe them please learn please go on this journey with me because socializing it like doesn't end at 18 like we continue to be socialized and we can all learn new skills yeah so there's still a chance for all men to start seeing countertop crumbs like I just believe in that possibility so when I get these letters it's like okay let's look statistically overall even if you were let's say even if you were even if we give this person the benefit of the doubt and they are doing all the work, they are in the very small minority of men because in, you know, heterosexual couples, women still do more work than it's actually, I just read a study that said it's getting worse. Like women are doing more cooking now than even a few years ago, like before the pandemic. So we're actually now doing more meal prep more food work than we were before. And, and, and so like, okay, so you're telling me you are the tiny, tiny percent of the man and I'm writing an article or I'm talking about an issue that affects like 85% of people. And you're coming in and you're being like, but what about me? And like, what's the goal here? right? Like, what are we, like, what do you want me to say? No, you're good. You're the one good man. Because I don't think you are. From Liz Lance. Yeah. But I also don't think you are. If you're coming to me, basically talking about your partner in that way, which gives me the ick, you know, like, I don't think you are good because it doesn't seem like you respect your partner and their contributions to your relationship at all. So what do you want? Like, what do you want from me? And if it was really true, if he's in this 1% of men or whatever, he could surely recognize an allyship with the 85% of women who experience this instead of needing to assert that we have to talk, like 
everything Liz says about this that applies to women, if it really applies to you, you can learn from it, even if she uses the word woman. Like right. we can learn from things that are written about other genders. Cause I know that because as a girl, <laughs> I read only books with male protagonists, you know, all the way up to like 12th grade. So like, that's, right. you know, like, like marginalized people are asked to read about mainstream dominant white men all the time and take away many valuable lessons and, and you can learn from women. It's also, yeah, it's also like, it doesn't, not everything has to be for you. And I think that right. there is like, you carve out a space, we saw this with the Barbie movie, right? Like it, you carve out a space. And that's one of the things I want to do with this podcast too, is like I, when I'm researching this book, I love the conversations I had and I was like, let's continue them. But you carve out a space where women can talk to each other. Like what a privilege you get to listen to this because you might not get to see this in your everyday life because right. maybe these women don't want you to come drink wine with them. But, um, and we're not getting on Joe Rogan, you know what I mean? No, like we're not in the the media that a lot of these guys are consuming. Right. And so you get a chance to listen, like maybe don't make it all about you. Like it's not all about you. It doesn't have to be all about you. Like what we say about relationships, if it doesn't feel applicable, then it's maybe not applicable. And maybe it wasn't for you. Maybe it doesn't have to be. But he's bakes a really good pie crust. So (laughs) He doesn't feel appreciated about his flaky pie crust. What I bumped on with pie crust, let me tell you, is I was like, oh, that is a man food hobby. That means there is some Saturday where he is making a goddamn pie crust for like six hours (laughs) while he does no childcare or other housework. And we all know how that goes. Like, this is his goddamn sourdough starter. This guy feels like a sourdough starter guy. Like this out. Okay, explain the sourdough starter guy though, because I think people need to hear oh, what sure. this guy is. So, like during the pandemic, when <laughs> you know women were disproportionately pushed out of the workforce in order to perform childcare because none of us could leave our homes and we had to be, you know, teachers and also continue to make money somehow. All these men on social media were like, I'm getting really into making sourdough. So good with all this extra time we have since we're in lockdown, make the best of it. And it's like literally women were holding the entire rest of the house together while some dad is like whispering to a sourdough starter. That's the sourdough guy. Yeah. But it's like, it's like you're doing, and I think he thinks that he is like, like he's okay, now he's contributing. being domestic. He bakes all the bread for the family. He yes. saves them like $6 a week on Pepperidge Farm. What a gift. What a gift. How right. does the household run without homemade bread? How important that is. Mm, I just, it's so, it's a thing. And I think, yeah, just, I don't know, have some self-awareness. I also feel too that like the people who are in the 1% are not like if you're in a happy healthy relationship and you are doing all that work that means you're getting something else out of the relationship yeah. right so like why are you still there then you know what what are you getting out of the relationship but i always think that's like you're not actually happy or actually doing the work you say you're doing because you would not then be emailing a woman who you do not know right to insist on your goodness. But I do think there is this strain every time we try to have these difficult conversations. And I, it happens with white women, which, you know, is yep. a whole other beat too. Absolutely. So I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where like somebody has to come in and be like, well, not me. I'm the good one. I'm the good man. I'm the good white lady. And it's just like, could for one second, the conversation yeah. not be about you. The parallel for this in my world is also when we talk about anti-fat bias and people who are very thin are like, well, people tell me to eat a sandwich. And like that is not the same as systematically earning less, being unable to access healthcare or purchase clothing or fit into airplane seats. Like people making comments about how you're very skinny is unkind, absolutely unkind. Also rooted in anti-fatness, right? They're talking about your thinness because... They don't want to be fat, but it is not the same as being systemically oppressed for your body size. And right, it's not. It's not the same as like having everything in the world be not created for you to feel comfortable. Right. You know, I I think I explained this to a guy 
very sharply recently where he was like, okay, but like, you know, it, it, he's like, you have to admit it is harder for men now because like, it's just like, it's a different world and we were raised one way and now we're trying to learn another way. And I was like, yes, it's gotta be so hard for you to go to a bar and sit down and be like, oh no, is this, if I talk to this lady, is she going to think I'm a predator or that I think she's good looking. Like, how do I handle that situation? I'm like, yeah, it's got to be really hard for you, unlike for the rest of us right? who are doing all the work, who have to worry about if you're going to rape us. You know, like, it's like, it's like, it's not the same. And like, you are uncomfortable. Sit in that uncomfortability. Like, live with it because the rest of us do all the goddamn time. Maybe being human is being uncomfortable. He's experiencing like 20% of what a woman experiences and he's losing his mind and sending this letter in. And it's like, welcome to the club, buddy. It's uncomfortable. It's un- it's uncomfortable. And you can sit quietly in the corner and try to learn from this. Yeah. And, and one of the ways I've tried to overcompensate, like I'm like, oh yeah, maybe, maybe it is hard for men out there. They don't know how to ask out a lady. So I'll ask him out. And I do. And they also get uncomfortable with that. So... <laughs> So it's like, well, I guess you're going to lose either way, but I win every time. (laughs) This American Ex-Wife is a podcast created by me, Liz Lenz, and Zachary Oren-Smith. And if you want to sue anybody for anything you heard, may I recommend suing Zach? Because he's a man and they should be sued more often. If you like what you heard, you can buy my book, This American Ex-Wife, which will be published on February 20th, 2024. Pre-orders really help determine the success of a book. So please, I'm begging you, pre-order the book through your local bookstore, bookshop.org, or wherever books are sold. Oh, hey, what's this? Is it a, is it a fortune cookie? Let me, let me open that right now. Crinkle, 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 crack, crinkle. Oh, look at this fortune. Zach, the fortune says, may the dresses we burn light the way. I'm going to ruin this whole <laughs> fucking pot. I'm going to make you sound so bad. Can you like, make me sound like a little chipmunk? <laughs> Today, I want to hear from you.